Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Nine Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Uh, my name is Robert Morrison. I am a contributor with NinerNoise.com, and here with me, to celebrate, uh, well, not celebrate, but, you know, <laughs> commiserate, I guess, on the somberest of loss weeks here uh, is another fellow contributor, Chris Wilson. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I haven't really been celebrating about anything <laughs> yeah. re- recently <laughs> for a number of reasons, but especially uh, after the game on Sunday, it was disappointing, to say the least. Yeah. And it was the trap game that we were worried about, and we were so very sure that the 49ers would not succumb to the almighty trap game but alas they did and mm. lost the game to an inferior team were thoroughly outcoached the only positive thing is that in the end the game was you know, probably meaningless in that the Niners have to win out and they should have won out anyway and if they do they will have tiebreakers over the Seahawks for the NFC West number one spot as well as the Packers and the Saints so they would still receive the number one seed and the playoffs in the NFC would still go through Levi Stadium. So no harm, no foul. I wouldn't necessarily say that, but they're not in the worst situation here. But the important question is, will the 49ers look back at this game and learn from it? Or is it going to be our opponents that will be looking at the tape and learning a lot about how to beat us? Yeah. So that's the question that we will learn over the next two plus weeks, I guess. Now that we've clinched our playoff spot, three, four, five, six plus weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, the good news about that is that pretty much the NFC playoff picture is pretty much decided for the most part. The only question is who will be, who, where, where teams will be and who the, the other question is who will win the mediocre NFC East and who will be the, the final 
wildcard team. That's really the only thing up for grabs at this particular point. And for the most part, the NFC uh, slate is made up of teams that the 49ers will have seen or throughout the season. So it's not like they're there's any kind of new information at this particular point. So it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, another uh, last second heartbreaker of a loss um, this time to a team that it's really just hard to justify the loss, at least with uh, Baltimore and Seattle, you can go, well, you know, they're good teams and the 49ers held close against a team that, that at least in Baltimore's case might be better than them. Um, and they, you know, they, they made a game of it and they lost to the last second. That's kind of a bummer kind of thing. Uh, but this game was just kind of, it wasn't pleasant to watch. Um, for the first half, it didn't look like either team was really that interested in doing anything. Um, and, uh, in, in the, you know, the, there was improvement in the second half, um, but you know it was really just in the end the Falcons kind of got the better of the 49ers defense, which is a little discouraging. Um, but I, I'd say in general the the, the team just kind of looked flat and uh, not. I, I don't get the impression that they necessarily overlooked the Falcons more as they, this is just sort of the what happens when you go on a, a two week road trip and the massiveness of the game against the Saints. Uh, and the you know the piling up the injuries, especially on the defensive side. I think they're up to like six starters or something like that that were out uh, for this game. Um, if you find yourself in that predicament, um, you are going to often get beat by NFL teams, even ones that were four and nine coming into the game. So you know these things happen. Uh, the good news, uh, as you alluded to, however, is that they did clinch their first playoff birth since 2013 uh the rams lost to the cowboys made that um a certainty so that's a small silver lining and um also there were no more injuries to add to the list uh, uh hopefully we're in the business for the next couple of weeks of keeping people healthy and getting more players healthy as opposed to uh having more injuries because i'm not really sure um as much as, as as good a job as this team has done with the attrition and the sort of next man up thing um I don't know that there's a there's there's a line at which that no longer becomes true, and they're certainly flirting with that line. And I, I'd like to stay as far away from it as possible at this particular yeah, point. I would sort of assume that they, that they passed that line a long time ago, but they just <laughs> right. you know, they were continuing to win. So just need to get back on that winning track. Yeah, for sure. You noted that the 49ers must win out. I that's actually not like mathematically true. Um, I think psychologically that should be the way that it that it goes. There are weird scenarios where the 49ers lose on Saturday and then win on and then win against the Seahawks where they could actually still win the West, maybe not get the number one seed, but yeah, the easiest way to think about it is just like, don't lose any more games for the rest of the season. Yeah, they could <laughs> potentially get the number one seed by losing and, and winning, but it isn't going to happen. Yeah. It's too, it's too complicated and you're asking too much of the other, of other teams in that case, you're taking the, the, the onus off your own off your own team and your own performance, and it becomes, well, you know, did we beat, uh, did, you know, the Cardinals bridge the gap so that the strength of, of, of victory is less, you know, getting all these stupid tiebreakers that you don't want to think about. So went out, that's the way to go. Um, so I, I know uh, we were chatting about this before we started recording. Um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this Falcons game because it was just one of those like sort of like life-sucking games uh, in, <laughs> in a very bad way. Um, so we do want to be – we'll do the, the ups and downs rather quickly because, um, frankly, there's just not 
a whole lot of good to talk about um, from this game because it was just kind of one of those ugly, like, ugly games that, you know, if they had won, we would have been like, okay, well, they won, but man, that was not a good win. And now that they lost, it's even less so. Um, so my up for the game is uh, George Gittle, who was pretty much uh, the main 49er that on offense that decided to show up. Um, you can make a case that, that Garoppolo you know, did the best he could with what he had um, as well. But Kittle was definitely the star of the show. 13 catches, 134 yards, which interestingly enough was the exact same number as Julio Jones on the other side of the ball. The big difference being that two of Julio's catches went uh, into the end zone and none of Kittle's did, which is basically kind of the difference in the game. You know, if Kittle catches one touchdown, then we're probably not thinking about this game as a loss. And if he catches two, we certainly aren't. So um, that's something to think about. Uh, still had a, a great game, according to PFF, who just rather adores him. Um, finished with a 91.6 overall grade, a 91.9 pass grade, and a 73.8 pass blocking grade. I saw that his run blocking grade was was really low, although that, uh, that fun block that he made in the end zone on Mostert's touchdown, did you see this video where he's, he's grinning like a madman the whole time through, and he rolls... <laughs> It's it's hilarious. Yeah, but I don't know at first what you thought, but I thought he hurt himself. Like the look on his face, it was from like a stone cold face to like a very very extreme look in his face. I thought he hurt his hand, and I said no, 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 no. And I was over at my brother's house. I made him rewind it like three or four times. I'm like, I think he's smiling. I think he's smiling. I think I think we're okay. Yeah, he's just great. Yeah, I, I almost freaked out. So that went from the worst thing possible yeah. to like even better than it would have normally been. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty great. He was just laughing maniacally. He's like, I just knocked this guy out. <laughs> la la la! I get to play football. They paid me lots of money to do this. <laughs> it was almost like he was surprised at how little resistance the defensive back gave him because he just went down and then he rolled. <laughs> It was very funny. And that was the safety, too. It was not like it was a cornerback. Yeah, yeah. he took him out. (laughs) He is a uh, 94.3 grade overall in the season, which is the tops among tight ends. And not just that, the tops among all players in the NFL across every position, full stop. Uh, Aaron Donald is the second highest. I think he's like a point and a half behind him. But George Kittle is, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, the best player at any position in the NFL in the whole wide world. So there we go. Yeah, and obviously no knocking Kittle because I borderline love him. Yeah, <laughs> but you really think he's having a better year this year than he was having last year? I mean, he was unbelievable last year. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because he hasn't played the full season, so he missed two games in the middle of the year. Uh, I, I think he's proving. I think the the important thing is the consistency element of it, and he's certainly proving to be. This is the second year in a row where he's been a top notch player in the NFL, and I don't, you know, I don't worry too much about it. I think. If he can continue to do this for the next, you know, eight, ten, ten years, we're going to be in good shape. Especially if he stays in a forty-nine uh, er uniform, which uh, he better. John Lynch, time to pay the man like right now. <laughs> I think if we could, we would. <laughs> yeah, as soon as we can start that conversation, let's do it. So, uh, what February sixth or something like that? That should do. <laughs> Kittle did have that fumble uh, late in the game, uh, which he recovered himself. Uh, it's 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 a tough one because he certainly he almost certainly would have picked up the first down if he hadn't dropped the ball. And the 49ers probably at that point can kneel the game out and everything is good, right? And now I'm not, I don't want this to be heard as like the 49ers lost the game because of Kittle, uh, because the 49ers would have lost the game if it wasn't for Kittle, um, because he was basically their offense, um, save for some, you know, decent running numbers. But uh, uh, none of the other receivers of any kind really showed up. I mean, if you look at, look at the numbers, they were sort of embarrassing in, in a lot of cases. Uh, the amount of effort that was, that was, uh, provided by the rest of the the receivers and in other places. So, um, you know, 
he's he's fun to watch and and i'm really glad that he's on our side and again i hope he sort of sticks around for for the foreseeable future i assume i assume that he will and and he should get paid and i'm, I'm sure that we'll pay him and I, he seems like a guy that wants to stay and loves his team and you know i like the fact that you know he's like he's the guy in the middle of the pregame huddles hyping people up and in the locker room hyping people up and you know he's, he's sort of like a you know, juju was when he came into the league he's just like this is what football is supposed to be. It's you know, a guy who's just having a great time playing a game and getting paid more than he probably thinks he deserves to get paid for it. And he's just so fantastic at it. So, yeah, he's just what you want in the NFL. Absolutely. And you want him on your team. You definitely don't want him playing against him. No, nah, I wouldn't. And I keep hearing it said or seeing it written in a handful of places. You know, it's a real, real easy play for him. It's a, it's a, it's a gimme first down. I mean, he still had to, like, run a guy or two over. And I, mean, it's, I guess we were so used to him just, you, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Sure. And for sure, I don't want it to make it sound like he definitely would have gotten the first down, but I feel pretty good given his circumstances that he would have turned a corner and, and at least made the effort to get there. And it, I think the big thing is that it's so he very rarely drops the ball, period, um, let alone fumbles the ball, that it was just sort of like one of those, what just happened? <laughs> I mean, he definitely would have gotten the first down because he's Kittle. The question <laughs> is, how many people would he be carrying into the end zone? I think there were three or four guys over there. But yeah, he did have to sort of switch hands. And I think that's when he sort of lost it. I think he hit off his leg a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, he was bracing for impact and getting ready to run somebody over. So it's not like he was just lollygagging down the field. I mean, he was no. about to get hit really, really, really hard and he was going to have to run somebody over. So, so he was you know, bracing for impact and, and he just, um, he made a mistake and yep. he rarely makes mistakes. And believe me, I'm not holding it against him. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. There were other things that happened. It was just sort of unfortunate because in spite of all the other things that happened, if that's a first down, it's probably a, a game sealer at that point. So yeah. there you go. I think at some point our offense needs to realize that they need to, perhaps rely on other players. <laughs> that would be helpful. Um, like 2% of the time. <laughs> Chris, do you have any uh, other positives from this game? Or? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, so I've really been trying hard. because I, I know. I knew you would take the first one because you're smart. And I assume you do that to your students too. Like I ask them questions like this. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, in, in your day job, just with the fun of seeing me squirm like I'm scoring right now. So I thought the run D was okay. I think they held Freeman to under four yards to carry, a little bit over three yards to carry. I think Matt Ryan was like the big big runner of the game. <laughs> so <laughs> tells you everything you really need to know there. Armstead played pretty well. McGlinchey played okay, both in the run game and the pass game, especially given who he was playing next to. Like you said, said the 49ers ended the game fairly injury-free-ish. And I think the most important up if there is one that's not named George Kittle, is that this loss was not in the playoffs. So there is football, not on Sunday, but on, on Saturday. So there's football in the upcoming week for the 49ers. Yes. And I just hope that they learn from their mistakes as their mistakes were unacceptable. Yeah. So but those are my ups. And those are all bad, but but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah, your ups are all like, well, it was kind of okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to sort of just jump right into my down right off the that because uh, I agree with all the, all that stuff, you know. I think uh, there was pressure, you know, that Armstead created, and and actually, really, Buckner and Bosa both created pressure. They just didn't get home. Was really the problem. Um, they couldn't get Matt Ryan of all people down. So bizarre. Um, so shifty that guy. But anyway, 
Yeah, apparently. Uh, McGlinchey should have told him how shifty he is. That's, that's, what, that's what they missed <laughs> out on. Um, but I, I think overall the down for me, I, I didn't want to, I didn't pinpoint like one specific thing. It's just the energy of the game felt off from the go. Something wasn't right. And even like the 21 play touchdown drive that they had early in the game that took up like the entire second half or first half, it felt like. Yeah, I think that was the, the longest touchdown drive of the the season in yeah. the NFL this yeah. year. I, For, I think it was the longest in like years. The Jets had a twenty-one yarder, twenty-one uh, player like several years ago. But anyway, there's something very lethargic about that, right? If it takes you twenty-one plays to get down the field, I, mean, I think it was what twenty-one. They were it was uh, on a touchback, I think. I so fell asleep halfway through. If it takes you that <laughs> that long to get down the field, there's just something very sort of lazy, not lazy, but very sleepy and lethargic about it. The the, the sense of urgency wasn't there, and, and and I think that says a lot about the entirety of the game. That they let a team again, whether this was a, a sort of a trap game or whether this, they overlooked them, I I couldn't say, but but it did feel like they just they just weren't up for it um after last week's game um and that's something they can't afford to do anymore uh from here on out they need uh these two wins uh for the regular season and then of course after that if they lose they're going home so the energy uh must be uh up between here and um starting on saturday from here until uh you know the beginning of february if they have any plans of uh taking home a super bowl so that's uh that's really important. So the energy just, it just looked off to me. And I, I think they uh, hopefully will learn from that um, and uh, move forward. Yeah. I think that their second drive uh, started off from, I think it was inside their 20. Was it? I think it was, I think right. it was after a punt because because yeah. uh, Atlanta went pump punt. Yeah. It was 21 plays, 88 yards. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Was, was, it, was that long? Okay. It was definitely a long drive, but long drives aren't necessarily good because. 21 plays means you're not moving the ball down the field very quickly. Yeah, that's it's not even it's 4.2 yards per play. Yeah. The, the only time that like a what 11 minute drive or whatever it was is good is when you have 11 minutes left in the game and you need to score a touchdown. But other than that, you know, it's I mean obviously it's better than going three and out and it's good to rest your defense, but it also shows you that you're not being aggressive and after a week where Shaney was so extremely aggressive, I, I feel like he just used up all of his, and I know he really has lots more aggressive plays, but it felt like he used up all of his exciting plays the week before, and people were saying, oh, maybe he's saving it for the the playoffs. I can't imagine that he's doing that. I think that he just didn't call very exciting plays <laughs> that were very productive, and yeah. Jimmy kept throwing over and over and over to, to Kittle, and you know, his wide receivers, when he did throw to him, couldn't catch the ball, and it was just basically the you know, the Kittle slash run show and didn't really break off many long runs other than the one Coleman run that was sort of gifted to him. So it was just sort of bland game called by, by, by Shani. And that was demonstrated in the 21 play drive, which hopefully we won't have too many more of those. But like I said, 21 is better than, than three plays. So I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll still take the touchdown. Yeah, if I have the choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> so, is that it? That, that's all your downs? Because I could go all week for downs, but I will not because I've already forgotten about this game. Yeah, 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 that's it. Go for it. So, uh, I got two. Go for it. Tell me your downs, Chris. The first one is going to be the shortest one ever. Robbie Gold. Dude, like, what's up? Like, if you don't want to play here, like, I, I know that, you know, there are all these <laughs> CBA rules and all that stuff, but just, just tell us you don't want to play here and, and we'll let you go or 
trade you or I don't even know what. Or retire and make it make it easy on everybody, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, please. Uh, I mean, you'd still have to pay him a fair amount of money, but still. Yeah, it's, it's just he's become a problem. And we need a field goal kicker who can kick key field goals in the playoffs, and we don't have one right now. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about it. Not, not good. Not good. Any ideas? Uh, nope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just really, just really hope that he gets it together. That that's really it. Of course, he could get it together, and he he could start crushing it and be the Robbie Gold of either real old or the last two years. That's not fine. That Robbie Gold that in that brief, really really bad time in, in Chicago. Yeah, and it definitely made me upset the way that the Atlanta kicker was just blasting balls down the middle when he's been like. Like comedy <laughs> when I've seen him kick in, in other games and he's just like, you know, right down the middle every time. I'm like, it's not going to be a good game for us. So, all right. So anyway, that, that's my first down. <laughs> my second down is the coaching staff and that's special teams, offense, and especially defense. All right. We had a, a tired 49ers team. You know, Shanahan talked about that when we first spoke to the media after uh, returning to the Bay Area. Saying that, I think we talked about this live podcast, that players are sleeping on the plane on the ride home, and it was just a totally different feeling than after their win in Cincinnati, uh, when they were in Ohio for two weeks. And he decided to give the players a day off. And obviously, they're tired. They're tired mentally, they're tired physically, they're hurt, they're injured. They're not at the same level of health as they were back uh, a couple months ago. So. They needed help from their coaching staff to pick them up, and they got the exact opposite. And it was all three aspects of the game. So the special teams, the onside kick, I mean, you just can't allow that to happen. And it's something that a coach who is playing for his job is going to do in the second half when he's kicking off. So it's something you should be looking for. And the 49ers weren't looking for it. And the only reason why they were forced to kick off again was because the NFL couldn't write their own rule correctly. And instead of saying that you can't have, you know, why would the NFL care if you have four players on one side of the field if you just had the other guy on the sideline? Like, it doesn't matter. It's not causing you some advantage of some sort. But the way they worded it was you need to have five people on each side of the ball as opposed to you can't have more than four people on each side of the ball. Or it was written by someone in Congress or something like that. You know? It just <laughs> needed to be proofread because the Falcons sort of played at a disadvantage and they still recovered the onside kick. So, I mean, that's just, that's just in itself unacceptable. And, I mean, yeah, it's great that Ross Dwelly caused the fumble and it's great that Juice picked it up. But, I mean, how much can you really give credit to the special teams coach for individual players making great plays? Obviously, I'm not blaming him for the extra point miss. What do you tell Robbie Gold? Hey, kick it through the upper eighth instead of missing kicks. I don't know what you do there either. It's mostly just in the kicker's head. So, I mean, I guess you could work on the exchange. and, and the, But obviously, my man Mitch is putting everything down perfectly, so it can't be him. So, yeah, I don't know what you do there. Anyway, special teams, the onside kick, was. I was very, very surprised that they weren't looking for that, especially when they were pretty smart about you know, covering against Taysom's uh, puncher pass last week. <laughs> Offense, Shanahan, your playing calling was very vanilla. You could have done a lot better. And like I said, like, it's like he used up everything he had last week, and I know that's not true because I mean, he's got plays on plays on plays. You know, but he maybe forgot the play sheet. But I mean, he's at home, so he should have it somewhere. It's either that he was calling plays that were not working, or Garoppolo was 
you know, just checking the ball down all the time. I mean, he, he didn't have the amount of time that you would hope that he would have, but he had enough time to throw the ball down, downfield and it seemed like he just kept on holding onto the ball. And I wasn't able to get through all the all 22, but getting through a fair amount of it, didn't have a lot of guys to throw the ball to. And when he did, you know, he threw it to Debo and Debo's dropping balls because his gloves are falling off because he doesn't strap them in. It's like, that Come on. that was pretty That's, funny, but yeah. also sad. I, I didn't find that very funny. <laughs> yeah, let's trap the gloves on. I mean, it's not that difficult. There's Velcro on there. Sanders just totally disappeared, and I don't know. It was just it was just um just an, an odd game that they didn't really have their wide receivers show up at all, and and it was just the Kittle show. And I mean, good thing for the Niners is Kittle's a guy who is generally uncoverable. Unless you're just going to devote the entire team to covering him, because depending on who you put on him, you can either run or you can either pass the ball to him. So he's a very, very difficult guy to to face because he's so multifaceted and multi-talented and and rarely fumbles. And when he does, he still is good enough to uh, grab the ball and make sure he's down inbound. So I appreciate that. Even even when he messes up, he messes up the best way. So that's a love myself some uh, some kill. I mean, Shanahan really needed to call a better game, and it didn't seem like he was really as up for this game as he should have been. And he really wasn't all that aggressive against the Redskins either, the two teams that he's coached for in the past. And I was expecting a lot more from him. I thought that he would be the one who would make sure that the team didn't have a trap game, and he didn't do that. So I was disappointed in him, and I was also disappointed in him for failing to get Salah's head in the game because Salah's head was not in this game, especially as the game wore on. Because the Falcons had very little talent on the field on offense. I mean, they had Matt Ryan. They have a meh offensive line that happened to play a lot better than they normally do. They have Freeman, who's beyond his prime. They have you know, a, a tight end who's so fine, you know, like a a number one-ish tight end, and they have a wide receiver who used to be top-notch elite and is still extremely good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but you know, he, but he's not the same guy he was a few years ago. Right, right, right. In, unless he plays us, and we don't cover him at all. But I mean, when you have you have that, and then you and otherwise you have nobody. I mean, they have nobody on their team that can make a play. I challenge someone to tell me who their number three wide receiver is. I mean, I know that we can't pronounce the number four wide receiver's name. I just, I just know he's number seventeen. <sighs> I didn't even see. I didn't even see him out there. That guy after we made such a big deal of it. Oh no, he actually was. He and he actually played a very, very important uh, role on the uh, the final drive uh, right before the touchdown. Huh. Which actually, I'll get into. Did he hold? Did he hold somebody? He, he didn't do anything wrong. He just did what Julio Jones did the following play uh, identically, and the Niners defended it very similarly. And uh, Tala basically played it the same way he played it the time before, and Atlanta knew that gotcha. exactly where to attack him. So, I came from this game wondering if the 49ers can win a Super Bowl this year with Salah as their defensive coordinator because he's become a problem. And I know that the 49ers defense is very, very good this year for, or at least it has been until the last what five or six games. I guess they, they threw a good game in there, but it's, it hasn't been the same since. So how much of that is his defensive scheme, which isn't really his. He brought a totally different defensive scheme to the team and he's been forced to change most of it. And how much of that is the players? 
the more that I see him coach and the more that I see him unable to implement common sense defensive strategies, for example, focus on the only one player that can possibly defeat you and just not even caring. It makes me think that it's a lot more, he has his game plan and if our front four get to the quarterback, then it's effective. And if they don't, then it's not. And that's not good defensive coordinating. <laughs> Any type of defensive scheme is going to work great if you're you know, giving the quarterback a half second to throw the ball. But it's not going to happen every week. So you need to have a game plan. And when you're playing Julio Jones and they don't have their number two or their number three wide receiver in there and nobody even knows who these other guys are, you need to focus on their Pro Bowl player. <laughs> it sounds so stupid, right? Right. But why aren't we doing that? Yeah. You could tell he was trying a little bit. I mean, he does make some modifications in the second half. He doesn't do very well with making changes mid-half, but he does make some changes in the second half. And you could tell that there was a little bit more focus. But the last two drives were just, it was just the Julio show. And everybody knew where the ball was going on all the plays, except for him. And on the, on the last play of the game, like, that play wasn't even supposed to go to Julio. Like shockingly, whereas everybody in the, in the stadium at home is like, you better cover Julio in this play. And like, who's the one player who's running across the field uncovered when we're double covering two other players and we have E-Man covering the R and the S in 49ers in the end zone. So very quickly, I'll just run down the last two drives. The Niners are up two scores with 10 minutes to go. So they shouldn't be scoring two touchdowns and winning this game. They start with the ball on the 25 after the Niners scored a touchdown on the previous drive and then miss the extra point and then touch back on the kickoff. So start on the 25. First two plays are screens away from Julio. Picked up eight or nine yards. So third down, who do they go to? Julio, first down. First down, pass to Julio. Second down, incomplete pass to Julio. Third down, pass to Julio for first down. So now Julio's tired, so you got to take him out. So what do they do? Well, they run the ball. <laughs> so then Julio's still at the field for the next down. What do they do? They throw a screen. Okay, put Julio back on the field. What do they do? They throw to him deep. Pass interference, apparently, yeah. on Jimmy Ward, because he looked at him the wrong way or something. <laughs> I don't know. 32-yard pass interference call. One-yard touchdown run. Was it nine plays, something like that? Maybe 10 plays with a penalty? Yeah, they're, they're nine plays, 75 yards. When Julio was on the field, other than those two screen passes, he was the target on every one of the plays. And he's just like running around, and like like I was complaining about last week, like why are we not redirecting interior receivers when they're running down the field? Why are we not giving our safeties extra time to cover them? Or, or in his case, why are we not covering him? Why do we not have someone manned up on him? Honestly, why didn't we not play our regular defense and just have someone manned up on him? Like I don't understand why not have someone bumping him at the line. People who are knocking on um, on Mosley. Like, I think he played a very, very good game. I mean, it wasn't perfect. And obviously on the last play, it wasn't perfect. But he played him well. And they're allowing Julio to push off when Eman was all over him. And Eman was, was able to get away with that, that, that nice little uh, little pull uh, of, of the jersey on the, on the long pass. But I'm happy that the refs actually knew what the rule was and didn't call that defensive holding since they couldn't review that. So knocking on him, I don't think was really fair. Knocking on Witherspoon, I think was totally valid because Witherspoon did not look like he wanted to play in that game. 
he was like reverted to either last year form or his college form where he just didn't want to tackle anybody. He was just like so risk averse to contact. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like you have Julio that's running across the field and then, and then, oh, there's like Witherspoon like running like after him, like five yards behind him. I'm like, how did that happen? He's not that much faster than you. Is he faster than you at all? Like, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem like he really wanted to, to play in that game. And it would have been nice to have Sherman only for that reason. I, I don't think that, you know, obviously Sherman can't run with Julio, but Sherman can sure make a lot of contact with Julio. It just depends on whether the, the refs are going to call it. But at bare minimum, he's at least going to know that Julio should be covered in some capacity. So back to the fourth quarter. Fortnite's got the ball, drive down the field while burning up a bunch of the clock. Then unfortunately we have the kiddo fumble. So the Fortnite's are in a fourth and one on the 25-yard line. Shaney elects to go for the field goal, even though Gold missed the previous extra point, instead of going for it on fourth down, which, if successful, would have ended the game since there were less than two minutes on the clock, which is a decision that I didn't like at the time. But given the way that Shanahan seems to always call long passes on fourth down and one, maybe it was the best thing for them to do, especially after the last drive and the way that the 49ers just didn't seem to care about covering the only good player on the team. <laughs> I didn't really feel confident that they were going to be able to hold them out of the end zone given what you know, two minutes or so after they uh, kicked the field goal. So you know, luckily they actually made a field goal and then kicked the ball back off to Atlanta for the final drive of the game. So first down, ball is knocked down in line of scrimmage. Ball actually wasn't going to Julio, surprisingly. But the Falcons were running a smash concept to the left side of the field. Julio was running the seven route from the slot. And they were running a lot of empty sets where they'd have Freeman on the outside, you know, it's like, 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 like the Niners do a lot. And they would have Julio either as the number three receiver closest to the ball or you know, as you know, the number two receiver with a, a tight end or a wide receiver between him and, and the offensive line. On that play, he was in the slot, and he, he ran the seven routes, the corner route, and then uh, they had uh, Freeman, who was on the outside, and Freeman didn't really run any kind of route. He just sort of like ran like two or three yards and just like turned around and looked for the ball. And by that time, the ball was, you know, was knocked down at the line. But Witherspoon was covering on that side, and Witherspoon, I, I guess, is somewhat concerned about Julio, and he sinks back, you know, like you're supposed to do a little bit, but he seems like 15 yards off of Freeman. And I'm not exaggerating, 15 yards off of Freeman. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I understand that Julio, yeah, you do want to cover him. Like I said before, it's, it should be a focus. But there are also two other defenders on that side of the field. And one of them is responsible for the area that you're in. So, yeah, sink a little bit. And let Ryan try to throw the ball over your head. And you're tall. And you can jump and make a play on the ball. But instead, he's so, so far back. It just it didn't make a lot of sense. So... Atlanta sees this and somehow knows that the 49ers are going to do the exact same thing on the next play. So they line up pretty much identically. And Julio runs his route a little bit more vertical so that Greenlaw, who's the linebacker on that side, has to carry him just a little bit. And then Witherspoon just sinks like he did. Not, not quite as bad. It was more like 13 yards or 12 or 13 yards instead of 15 yards. Julio's nowhere even near, like near him and he's not running a corner. So I, I don't know what you're doing. So, you know, Freeman runs this like very, very weak, like three yard slant. 
And Ryan's just staring him down. That's the other thing. Ryan was staring down Julio this game. I mean, like I've never seen a quarterback stare down a wide receiver. It was like he wasn't. He wasn't even trying to hide it. He wasn't caring about the safeties. He wasn't trying. He's like, I'm just like staring at Julio. You're gonna be open. You're gonna be open. Okay. You know, here's a, here's a window I can throw the ball to. So he thinks little of the 49ers secondary as far as that goes. And I mean, maybe he was concerned about you know, the time that he may have or may not have, but the way that he was just staring him down was like, like he was a rookie and you know, Ryan's a half decent quarterback. I mean, he knows what he's doing. So he must've just thought like, it's not going to matter if I stare him down. So I might as well just get the full view here. So I was a little bit perturbed by that as well. So Freeman catches the ball on the short slant, easy 13 yards, first down. So first down, what does Matt Ryan do? He looks deep to Julio, but luckily for the Niners, Buckner steps up at the right time and forces him to just dump the ball off for a short gain. I think it was like an eight or nine yard gain, so actually it wasn't that short. Next down, Julio for 25 yards. I mean, like, why not? He's in the slot. At that time, I believe he was the number three receiver. Uncovered. Nobody's covering him. Like, no no one's anywhere. Like, there are no cornerbacks. There are no, there's nobody in front of him anywhere. And then eventually, like, Ward sort of steps up a little bit, but it looks like he's supposed to be deeper because they're in some type of two-safety look, but steps down so he looks like he's sort of covering Jones, but he wasn't. I mean, he's just totally uncovered. I mean, it's like this this is the only guy that can hurt you, and we're just paying him absolutely no attention. So he sort of steps up, but Julio runs not even like that great of a route, but runs the post and just getting stared down, gets hit in stride. Harris comes up to make the tackle and does the exact same thing as he did against Cooks last week and tries to hit him low and just bounces off of him. And then a ward eventually you know, runs him down after 25 yards. So now you know, the Niners are in deep trouble. So on the next play, first down. Again, Ryan, who's he look to? Looks to Julio. Julio's open, but luckily the pass rush forced him from the pocket. Unfortunately, <laughs> Ryan is able to scramble to the opposite side of the field for nine yards, which I don't know if that's like a career high for him, but something he's going to tell his grandkids about. So we have a, uh, a short field situation there. I guess Julio was too tired from running around and, and uh, catching too many balls and you know, running up and down the field. So they take Julio off the field. So if you thought Ryan's options were limited before, now they're really, really limited. So back to what we were talking about before, here's where our favorite named wide receiver for the Falcons makes his indirect contribution. Although most people will remember this as the pass to Hooper of the seam where Ryan throws the ball into triple coverage. You, you remember the play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, and it's like, what are you thinking? But he's the only other half-decent uh, receiver slash tight end on the field, so you know where the ball's going. Hooper was lined up as a tight end, and he takes up the seam, and then 17's on the outside, and then Freeman, from the backfield, runs out of the flat. So we have Freeman runs run to the flat, 17 runs down to the five-yard line, and like, I'm only calling him that because I can't pronounce his name. So unless you've if you've learned to pronounce his name in the last week, please go ahead. So no disrespect to 17, he didn't catch any balls, so he still has a 93, 94 yard per reception average on first career. So he's still quite elite. So no dis- disrespect to him, obviously. But nah, nah, nah. so he just sits down at the five yard line, and the entire team converges on Hooper, including Marcel Harris on that side, and you know the, the ball's incomplete. So. What does Atlanta do the next play? Somehow, they know that Salah is going to do the exact same thing on the next play. They run the exact same concept on that side of the field. Hooper runs down the seam, 
except they have Julio on the field now because he's he's well rested after uh, taking a playoff after running you know, his, his last handful of uh, of plays of ruining the 49ers defense. And Julio sits down there at the five yard line. And Ryan just stares him down, throws him the ball, complete pass, down to the five. It's like, how are we not switching up our plays from play to play? I understand that a lot of these guys are backups, and they're not playing their normal position. And if someone like Sherman is in the game, he probably would be smart enough not to allow that to happen. I understand that. But if you put someone like Mosley in the game and you tell him to do something, he's going to do it. So I'm not blaming that on Mosley, because he's playing it like he's supposed to play it. And... It's Salah's job to come up with a defense that's different than the last defense you played on the last play, especially when the offense knows what's coming. And like two times on this drive, they knew exactly what defense the Fortnite would call when they called, based on the defense they called the play before. So on the next play, pass rush gets to Ryan. <laughs> that, that's a play where he sort of closes his eyes and throws it to the ground in the middle of the field. At that time, he actually looked like a rookie. He really looked like he was in the grasp, and he just throws it sort of near Freeman, and it just lands on the ground. I mean, easily could have been thrown to anybody, and it would have been a pick six. I guess he's just worried about the time. But thrown on the ground farther away from <laughs> from all the 49 defenders. Plus, the only reason why the time was a factor is because Ryan decided that he needed to call a play at the line and not just simply down the ball, and then he lost half the time off the clock. So now the Falcons have the ball on the five-yard line with only eight seconds to go, which is generally only enough time for two shots into the end zone before the game comes to an end. So Atlanta really needs to dial up their best two plays here. And Ryan has to get up off the turf, struggled to get the play call in from the sideline thanks to the Levi's stadium crowd, relay that call to his players in the huddle, make sure everybody's in position, and can then get the playoff before the Play clock runs down for the most important play so far in this game. Plus, you can tell by the previous play, via his lack of effort, that Jones is still pretty winded. Once the call is in, the play clock's down to nine seconds and counting, and Atlanta's receivers still aren't set, so you can just totally forget about any pre-snap motion, since Ryan's really going to have to push it just to get the ball off in time. So things really feel like they're turning around for the Niners very quickly here. I mean, Levi's crowd is totally rocking, you can see that there's disarray on the Atlanta side of the ball. And then the ref comes out to call a timeout. But Atlanta doesn't have any timeouts. But you know who does? The 49ers. And Shanahan decides to call one right now. And of course, it's the one time when the Niners actually have somebody covering Jones on the play. They actually have a man across from Jones who's covering him. So obviously Shanahan is having none of that. Shanahan also doesn't want to wait until... The clock runs down to see if the Falcons can actually get the ball off, or at least to gain a little more information about the play call before he calls the timeout. Even if he called the timeout because he thought his defensive linemen, you know, the same ones who just dominated on the previous play, were tired, it was still an extremely poor decision and really was a gift to his former team. So the Falcons take full advantage of their free timeout and change the play. But somehow Julio, who I believe is still only 30 years old, is still too exhausted to like run a full route. But they leave him on the field anyway as a decoy, which actually works on Ward, and allows Hooper to get singled up on Marcel Harris. And as we all remember, Ryan hits Hooper quickly on the skinny post, but Harris, who's initially like way out of position, recovers, sticks with the play, and then forces Hooper to lose possession of the ball as he sort of twists him as he takes him to the ground. Of course, the refs call a touchdown anyway, and while they review it, 
we had that entertaining back and forth between the commentators in the box and Fox's NFL rules specialist or whatever his title is. And the guy's repeating like over and over that it's an incomplete pass while Myers just seems generally confused. And then Daryl Johnston you know, keeps asking these desperate questions like he said, as long as he has possessions, it sweeps the ground. It's a catch, right? I'm like, it's a football. It's not a broom. You, you don't sweep a football. I think you mean when the ball hits the ground and he lost possession. So then the ref comes on and simply says, the ball hit the ground. It's an incomplete pass. So Johnson tries to you know, save some face. As he starts going on and on about the great game the Harris is playing, blah, blah, blah. But then he calls him Kamal Ishmael, you know, the wrong 36 from the wrong team. So Johnston... If you keep this up, you could just be pulling a rabbit out of your head on Monday Night Football next year. All right, let's finish it off with the final play of the game, the most important play of the game, and a play that was poorly called and executed on both sides of the ball. So the Falcons start off with three wideouts on the wide side of the field, and they motion Julio to the boundary side, close to Hooper, who's really tight to the formation. In his post-game presser, Shanahan said he thought the 49ers had bracket coverage on Julio, which he defined to the reporters as two defenders covering him. So, first off, why isn't Shaney certain what defense the Niners are in? And why isn't he in Salah's ear as the Falcons just Julio the ball up and down the field on the final two drives of the game? Shanahan's essentially one of the world's leading experts on every one of the Falcons' very few NFL-caliber playmakers. Ryan, Julio, Hooper, Freeman. So why isn't he playing a more active role when the Niners on defense? Second, if they are indeed bracketing Julio, what kind of bracket coverage is Salah trying to use here? You have to assume it's an in-and-out bracket with Mosley on the outside and Harris on the inside. But if so, they sure don't know how to run it because neither player gets within five yards of Julio on the play. So assuming Warner, who is the only defender on that side of the field who is playing with some type of conviction and at full speed, was supposed to cover Freeman and follow him to the flat, then Greenlaw, Harris, and Eman just all missed their assignments on this play. After Julio motions over, Greenlaw lines up across from Hooper. But once the ball snapped, he allows his head end to just clear him out of the play in the back of the end zone and into Harris, and he basically offers like no resistance. Hooper's just like pushing him with one arm, and he's just allowing him to carry him into the back of the end zone. So if Harris is indeed supposed to be in bracket coverage on Julio, he lines up way too far outside. And then instead of making up for his mistake when he sees Julio drag across the field and aggressively attacking him on the drag, he just watches the play while he gets pushed into the back of the end zone behind Greenlaw and Hooper. Meanwhile, Mosley is a... Total non-factor, as he just stands there in the end zone covering air, just like he did on the previous play. So even with all the mistakes on the Niners side of the ball, this play still barely works. Ryan initially looks to his left, to his two other no-name wideouts, the number two, number three receiver, not the guy with the interesting name. And both the guys run like really weak routes. It's a poorly called play all around. And they're made up tight. He has nowhere to go. Ryan then you know, moves around a little bit in the pocket because pressure's coming and then sees Julio over the middle, who's just totally uncovered. But Julio is oblivious to that act. He's just running free across the field, no one near him. If Jones simply stops and sits down in the front of the end zone, Ryan throws him the ball, it's easy to score, game is over. But instead, 
Julio continues to cross the field and runs himself right into Ward and then Reed. And with Ward hitting him right there at the end zone, the base would have lost Atlanta the game if not for the instant replay. Unfortunately, the replay shows that after Julio caught the ball, a portion of the ball just barely crossed the plane. So the Colts first and the 49ers end up losing their third game of the year. So looking at the last two drives, you could throw a little bit of the blame on the players, most of which are backups on certain plays. But Robert Sala is the one who failed the team on the last two drives. So in the NFL, offense beats defense. That's just the way it is. 2019. Hashtag deal with it. Especially in the passing game. So defenses need to be creative. Every defensive coverage or scheme is beatable by an NFL offense. And if any NFL offense knows exactly what's coming, because you caught it on the last play, then they're going to make you look like the Niners looked on those last two drives. San Francisco forced Atlanta into four third downs in the last two drives. Guess where Ryan went on all four plays? Julio. And on all four plays, the Falcons moved the sticks. Why? Because on each play, Sally either ignored Jones or, along with the secondary coaches, failed to teach his players how to properly execute the plays that would potentially cover Jones. So under this regime, the players always seem to be held accountable for the mistakes, sometimes more than they probably should be. But the coaching staff, and particularly Salah, rarely is, even when his mistakes are far more egregious. If the 49ers want to win their sixth Lombardi this season, they need to play and they need to coach a lot smarter. I'm tired of talking about it, and I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it. So let's put this week behind us, hope that the team can learn some lessons from their blatant mistakes, and let's just turn the page to a must-win game in Week 16. So the next game up uh, for the 49ers is a a divisional matchup on Saturday night. Yeah, that's right, Saturday night, not Sunday night. Uh, They have the late primetime game, 8.15 Eastern time, 5.15 local time against the Los Angeles Rams in their... uh, final home game of the regular season. I'm going to say that like that to, uh, to really make it clear um, what I mean by that. So uh, the Rams is the second time they've seen them last time they beat them in Los Angeles, uh, 20 to seven in a game that just really wasn't that close, even though the score was only, you know, 13 points. Uh, the Rams got manhandled in a lot of ways. Um, so Chris uh, quickly, do you think uh, the 49ers can repeat that formula that got them the win the first time in Los Angeles? If the Rams play like they did last week, absolutely. <laughs> so the Rams in a game that they just had to win, they didn't technically have to win it, but they basically had to win it. And it, it was a game that was, you know, had the potential to give them a playoff berth, not immediately, but put them on the track for that and then make our matchup with them this upcoming week even more important. And they just laid a total egg against a Dallas Cowboys team. It's in such a state of disarray that they're, you know, the Dallas Cowboys fans are rooting against their own team when they're in the playoff hunt. Or actually, they've been in the lead <laughs> with a losing record in the end of the East. But their their fans are, like, rooting against their own team just so they'll fire their coach. I mean, that's how bad it is. Yeah. And they, got, they just stomped on the Rams. I mean, it was bad. So if they play like that, a good college team could be them, I assume. <laughs> and it, Gurley keeps uh, dropping passes that like, you know, I would throw to my young right, niece and I would arms. expect her to catch. <laughs> then that's also good, too. But this is a good game for the 49ers running game to explode. Hopefully. <laughs> As the Cowboys had two running backs who ran over for 100 yards <laughs> while managing like 1.7 yards on the ground themselves. Yeah, they had like three yards at halftime on the ground, which is amazing. And Goff 
pass the ball 51 times. Yeah. So that's what you want to do. <laughs> Make Goff pass the ball many times. Bosa didn't do too much last time, and unfortunately we don't afford this time. But if the 49ers play up to their ability, then they should be able to handle this Rams team. I mean, they're able to handle them early in the season. Away, they should be able to handle them at home. You know, they have Sanders now instead of Pettis. Debo's matured, except for his gloves. Yeah, and like I said, Bosa didn't do very much in the first matchup, but after this last week, he was definitely disappointed in himself, and I think that he's going to have a rebound game. So, yeah, girly or no girly this time. Um, you know, last time we played golf, he had less than 50 net yards. There was zero for 13 on third, third and fourth down. It's not going to be quite that bad, but I think this is a game that the 49ers can repeat their formula of you know, stopping the running game, making them throw, and attacking their you know, quarterback who... Always breeze with his mouth open. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, for me, I, I think the short answer is yes. Uh, just looking back on on that game, uh, the formula was basically you know shutting them down, shutting the Rams down offensively, and George Kittle. Um, they didn't really have a good game on the grounds against uh, them the first time. They ran the ball forty one times, and they only got ninety nine yards, which is really bad. Uh, but somehow it was enough to uh, to kind of pull it out. Um, question, of course, will be the strength of the defense in terms of injuries at this point. Uh, the good news is it looks like both Sherman and Quan Williams will be good to go for Saturday. They both are practicing today. Chikoski Tarts, uh, as of yet, um, hasn't been ruled out, and he did not practice today, but who knows? Um, I'd be really surprised if uh, D. Ford is ready, as you alluded to. I think it, at this point, D Ford is definitely in the safe him for the playoffs mode at this particular juncture. I mean, barring, you know, some sort of major change. Um, I think that's, that's something to pay attention to. Yeah. I think um, maybe, maybe Seattle, but definitely not yeah. this week. No, 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 for sure. It's too short. It's, you know, six days, not enough time to, to kind of get himself ready uh, for sure. And then of course the other question is whether or not the offensive line can hold up. You know, they did a decent job uh, against uh, the, their, against Aaron Donald, uh, the first time, and they're just going to have to continue that that matchup. Uh, the good news is is that their secondary is probably worse than it was when they played them the first time, uh, because for some reason the Rams decided, you know, just to get rid of their best cornerback and be like, yeah, we'll just send you to the to the to the Ravens, no big deal. Um, and uh, they still don't have an answer for for Kittle in the middle of the field, is because their linebackers are still not good. I don't know that they the Rams, even though they might be playing better and on the whole over the last couple of weeks, I don't think they're a better team than they were. In fact, you could probably make the argument that they're a worse team than they were during that first loss. So, um, with that, uh, we'll move on to the predictions and close things out. The Niners' pass rush was really ferocious in that first week, as we uh, have alluded to, four sacks of Jared Goff in in that. Uh, week six victory. They also had eight tackles for loss, which is a, a good number to have and, and one that will keep the, the running game in check a lot. I think that even though they might, they're le- unlikely to have D Ford, um, the Rams pass blocking has been pretty iffy throughout the season. Um, they're really just kind of like one strong offensive lineman and sort of a collection of not so great ones on, on top of that. Um, and hopefully above all else, the 49ers learned from the loss of the Falcons that you just can't mess around, that you can't just assume you're the better team and kind of lackadaisically come into a, a game and expect to win. So I'm, I'm sort of hoping that the defense will be able to sort of get it, pull it back together. They're going to get some players back and um, 
that the offense will do enough to win. So I'm going to go 23-13 49ers. So just a slightly different score than last time, but still a uh, 10-point victory. Chris, what do you think? So the 49ers have a fairly consistent uh, 6.5 point line in their favor via Vegas and the over-under somewhere around 46-45. So we're talking about a 26-19, 26-20 game, something like that, somewhere in that area. Yeah, yeah. I am going to attempt to reverse jinx this after I think we were a little too flippant last week. With, Probably. Yeah. And we've learned our lesson. We apologize to the listeners. And, Never again. Um, and no, we will probably do it again. But I'll probably do it again. But uh, at least this week I won't. So I am going to pick the 49ers to win because I'm not crazy. I mean, then I definitely kicked off with like two minutes left in the podcast. <laughs> so the 49ers are going to win this game. I'm going to predict a 24 to 20 victory for the Niners. So 49ers winning the game, but the, the Rams covering the spread. 49ers still win, and whatever fashion they want to do that, I don't care. Just win this game gotcha. and gotcha. stay healthy, and let's take it to Seattle the next week. But focus on this week, please. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, except for I don't know that I can handle another close game win or lose that's just my personal opinion um but anyway <laughs> um thanks again uh ladies and gentlemen for listening to the niner noise podcast part of the fan-sided podcast network um please check us out on your favorite podcasting platform apple Podcasts, google podcasts uh all those other good places where you can listen to podcasts and of course leave us a nice review and uh a lovely five star or maximum star review if you would um and then as always share this podcast with your 49er fan friends um so we'll be rooting on the 49ers a, you know a day earlier than normal uh this week um so we will see you um probably in less than a week because the schedule with uh, the holidays coming up here soon will start to get a little bit interesting so we'll see how that works out over the next uh week or so but until then we'll see you next week niner pants Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.